welcome the first word. We're going to start another round of God's amazing people. Um, we're going to be starting this series today, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about this series. I like when we dive off and we start um, looking at the different people that make up the Bible, because when we do that, we find that it's like looking in the mirror to ourselves and some of the same struggles and things that we all face. Today, we're going to be talking about Joseph, very familiar, familiar man of Scripture, but uh, I believe there's some things we can truly learn from Joseph. Joseph was born, he is the son, the eldest son of Jacob and Rachel, and if you're familiar with your Bible at all, you will note that Jacob would go to work for Laban, he would find Rachel, he would fall madly in love with her, he would work seven years to wed Rachel, only to discover that he had been given Leah instead of Rachel. Now, how in the world does that happen? You're going to tell me that you married somebody and you didn't even raise their veil to see who in the world you had married? But anyways, so Jacob finds out that he's married Leah instead of Rachel. And so he indentures himself for another seven years and he works to wed Rachel. And the Bible says that Jacob loved Rachel, but he despised Leah. Because she was the one that had, you know, he'd been tricked into marrying. And as you began to read Scripture, the Lord opens Leah's womb, and she begins to have children, but Rachel can't have any children. And finally, the Lord blesses Rachel with a child, and they call his name Joseph. Now, having experienced and still experiencing blending a family. I cannot imagine what kind of blending and dysfunction must have been in the household of Jacob. Joseph grew up where there were two moms, many children, half-brothers running around. And the Bible says that as Joseph began to get a little older, that he began to have some dreams. Now, Sibling rivalry and fussing and fighting, I understand full well. There are days when my kids do not speak to one another because they're mad at each other. They're, you know, they, may have, they may have prolonged it for a day or two. But the Bible says that Joseph begins to have dreams, and he begins to share with his brothers his dreams. The first dream that he shares with them is of, of them binding sheaves. And he says, my sheaves were, were standing there and yours bowed down and did obeisance to me. And the Bible says that they hated him for his dreams. It got so bad that the, the word says they could not speak peaceably to Joseph. You talk about some major dysfunction, man. Sitting around the dinner table, you, you, please pass the rolls. I wonder how that one went. You know, the Bible says they could not speak peaceably to him. And, and yet Joseph dreams another dream, and he has the audacity to tell his brothers what he has dreamed. He said, I dreamed that 
The sun and the moon and the stars bowed down to me. And not only did he incur the wrath of his brothers, but the Bible says that his father rebukes him at this point, and he says, what, what, what are you doing? You think even me and your mom are going to bow down to you? Who, who, Joseph, who do you think you are? So the conditions are all in place. The dysfunction is there. You go and you look at the life of Joseph and look at his brothers. He has a sister that is raped. His brothers take vengeance on a whole city. I mean, this guy's life is kind of out there by our standards. And his brethren hate him. And finally the day comes where his brothers are out tending sheep, and Joseph is told by his dad, I want you to go check on your brothers and let me know how things are going. Now, I know some people that like to light a fire, and I know some people that like to light a fire and they have gasoline in their hands when they do it. You would think that with everything going on around the home place, that dad would probably have said, you know what, it's probably better if I go check on the boys. But he tells Joseph, I want you to go check on your brothers and tell me what's going on. And so Joseph does. And he gets to where they're supposed to be, and they're not where they're supposed to be. The Bible says that they were supposed to be in Shechem. They're not in Shechem. Word of the Lord says that there's a servant, the servant finds this boy wandering around in the fields, and he goes, what are you doing? And he says, well, I'm looking for my brothers. And he said, when he begins to describe them, he said, oh, he's not here. He's in, they went to Dothan. I overheard them saying they were going to go to Dothan. So Joseph makes his way there, trying to be obedient, trying to live right, trying to do the best that he can. And as he's getting to where his brothers are, word of the Lord says, when they saw him afar off, they began to conspire to kill him. Kill your own brother? I mean, I, I didn't have a brother. I grew up with a sister, so, you know, that was challenging enough. But I never wanted to kill her. These guys hate him so bad. They're like, we're going to figure out a way to knock him in the head when he gets here, and we're just going to make up the story that, you know, Something happened to him. A wild animal got a hold of him. Something, something went wrong. Now, Blake, I know you have a little brother, and maybe you did want to kill him a time or two. I don't, I, I don't know, but the, the, the whole process of actually thinking, hey, this is the day. Start getting the guns ready. Load them up. Get the knives sharp. This, this is the day. That takes some major hate. He gets there. Thankfully, by the time he gets there, Reuben, one of the, the eldest, begins to talk everybody down, and he gets them to a place where they're not, they're not worked up to kill their brother, but they take him, they strip his coat off of him, and they cast him in a pit, and they leave him in a, in a pit. And they began to figure out what they're going to do. They finally get the bright idea. They see a caravan coming by, merchants passing by. 
Word of the Lord says that they were Ishmaelites, and they get the idea. You know what? We're going to sell him. If we kill him, that's a little extreme. But we'll sell him, make a profit off of him, and he can go be a slave. That's nearly as messed up as killing him. Your sibling and make a profit on it. Please don't say anything at this point. I, you know. But that was that was the mentality that was there. They call down a group of merchants. They flag them down. They pull Joseph from a pit and they sell him for twenty pieces of silver. And they take his coat. They shred that coat. They dip it in the blood of a kid and they go back to their dad. They hand him the garment and they say, "Hey, we found this." Does this belong to your... They didn't even call him... They didn't even say, does this belong to our brother? Scripture says that they said, does this belong to your son? And Jacob recognizes the coat. And the alarm bells start going off in these boys' head when they see their dad begin to be so broken in grief. Word of the Lord says he rent his clothes... He covers himself with ashes, and he begins to mourn. And none of his family can comfort him. He's in mourning. And the reality begins to set in of what has happened. But we're not talking about the brothers. We're talking about Joseph. You see, when you look at the life of Joseph, and as we begin to walk through this man's life, he is justified if you're looking to, if, if you want somebody that you can say they are justified to want revenge, they are justified to strike back, they have all, every right to be angry, mad, and to lash out, it's Joseph. He's done wrong by his family, betrayed by his brothers, sold as a slave, and he goes from being treated as a prince to being treated as nothing more than property. And by the time they get him to Egypt, they will turn around and put him on the auction block. They will auction him off. They will sell him off, and he will wind up in the house of one by the name of Potiphar. He was the captain of the guard to Pharaoh. He goes into this man's house, and the word of the Lord says that he was he was blessed, that, that Potiphar's house was blessed because of Joseph and that it began to prosper because of Joseph and he was elevated in Potiphar's house. And, and you can begin to look at that and think, well, you know, I mean, hey, yeah, that's some bad things happen, but life isn't too, isn't too bad right now. Keep in mind, Joseph's still a slave. You and I read the narrative of well, the Lord was with him. The Lord was blessed him. The Lord prospered him. That doesn't mean that Joseph recognized all those things. Joseph is still a slave. He's coming up in the ranks of slaves. All right? He finally gets to the position where he's second only to Potiphar, and, and, and he has some, some perks and some freedoms in that regard, but he is still very much a slave, a prince that is a slave. And so, 
As he begins to be elevated in the household, he catches the eye of Potiphar's wife. And now the doors open for him to be tempted by another man's wife. And she does everything she can to get his attention. The Bible says day in and day out she would come at him and, and try to, to uh, tempt him to sleep with her. It was, it was this narrative. So he's trying to navigate this and, and work in the house and still, still be a, a moral person. And finally the day comes where he's set up. Nobody's in the house. And he's in, he goes in to take care of, uh, of, of, of business for Potiphar, and Potiphar's wife c- comes on to him and grabs his garments, and the Bible says that he had to run out of his garments. He fled from her. I'm going to stop right here and, and, and throw this out. And if you've heard me teach, you've heard me say this before, and I'll probably say it over and over again because I believe it so strongly. There are some things in your life, ladies and gentlemen, there are some temptations that you are not strong enough nor are you wise enough to navigate and negotiate and handle. There are some things in life when you find yourself tempted that you would do well to run away from. Standing around and saying, well, I'm, you know, number one, if if you have to justify it, by saying I'm strong enough to deal with it or I'm smart enough to handle it and I've got it figured out, you probably need to run away from it. Joseph didn't try to argue. Joseph did not try to sit there and have a conversation. When that moment came, he ran. And the Bible says that he left his garment there. So then the story takes a, in the life of, of Joseph takes a turn, and we find where Potiphar's wife will come, and she will tell her husband, your servant, that Hebrew that you brought into her, our house, he tried to rape me, and now look at where we are. And Potiphar is angry at Joseph, and he takes him and he throws him in prison. The hits just keep on coming. It seems like no matter what Joseph does, oh, Joe, when he tries to make a step, he'll take one step forward and he'll take four steps back. Now he's in the dungeon. He's in the prison. He's, he's having to stay there in the dark with the rats and the men that are being tortured and having to deal with all that, and yet the word of the Lord says that he was given favor with the jailer, and the Lord was with him. And he begins to prosper in the prison. Again, those words, the Lord sees him, the Lord prospers him, the Lord's working, and yet he's found himself in a prison. I want to throw this out here. When you've tried to make all the right moves and you've tried to do things right, And it seems like your world keeps crumbling and falling and you take one step forward and four steps back and you're trying to live right. You're trying to put God first. You're walking with him. But it seems like it's one disaster after another. The word of the Lord says that the Lord was still with Joseph, that he was still prospering him, that he was still elevating him, that he was still pouring into Joseph. Many times we look at life and I, our idea of life is that if God's with me, I shouldn't be going through what I'm going through right here. 
if I truly am a prince, if I truly am, and the word of the Lord says we're heirs with him, if I truly am a son of God and a daughter of God, then why in the world am I facing what I'm facing right now? God, surely you will open up a cloud of blessing and pour it in my life. And, and surely this, if I, if I, if, if, if it was really supposed to happen the way I see it, I wouldn't be in the situation that I'm in. Life would be a little kinder to me. Life would be a little better to me. Things would flow a little bit better. I don't understand why it's falling apart. But the word of the Lord says that the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was still prospering. The Lord was still shaping. You see, the fact of the matter is, ladies and gentlemen, is we do not understand everything that God is doing all of the time in our lives. Just ask Job. Here's a man who would lose everything overnight, seemingly. It's gone. And when you read the book of Job, his friends accuse him of, of, of sin. And when you read the narrative of Job, it, it, there are times he seems angry. There's times he seems depressed. There's times he seems alone. And... And here is a man that was perfect and upright before the Lord. And, and you and I are given the, the privilege of reading the book. And we read in the book of Job where it says, There was a day when the sons of God came together and, and Satan was also present among them. And, and the Lord looks at Satan and he says, Hast thou considered my servant Job? And, and they began to, to go back and forth on Job. And all of a sudden, it's like, a, it's like chips in a game. They began to set the rules. And the Lord says, well, you can touch his property, but you can't touch his body. You can, you, 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 you can touch everything that he has, but you can't take his life. Job didn't know that. All Job knew was he woke up one morning, and it was the same as every other morning. And before the day was over, there was a servant coming to tell him that, he had been stripped of his, of his flocks and his herds. And there was another servant that came and began to tell him of how that, 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 that all of his substance was gone. And then there was another servant that would come and tell him, Job, I, I hate to tell you this, Master, but your children were in a house and they were, they, were, they were fellowshipping and enjoying life. And all of a sudden there was a wind that came and blew. And, and Job, you've lost all of your children. All of that happened. And Job didn't, he wasn't given the script that said, but the Lord was still going to be with you. That the Lord was still going to prosper you. All Job knew was life had turned upside down. And I love the fact that the Lord, when he set every, the parameters for that trial, he didn't say, if Job gets angry at me, I'll forsake him. He didn't say, if Job gets depressed and feels alone and abandoned by me, he fails the test. He didn't say any of that. He said simply, Job will not deny me. When he's upset, when he doesn't understand, when he hasn't figured out that, 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 that I'm, I'm doing something in his life and I'm going to, 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 to bring back everything that's been gone, he said, I promise you this, when he's discouraged He's still going to serve me. When he's angry, he's still going to serve me. When he's bitter by life, he's still going to serve me. When he does not understand, he's still going to serve me. 
That was the same mentality of Joseph. I may be a slave, but I'm still going to serve God. I may be hated by my brethren, but I'm still going to serve God. My home may not be the most functional home out there, but I am still going to serve God. Walking with God is not always understanding God, but it's simply following when I don't understand. It's walking with Him through the pain and the hurt that I experience when I'm wondering, God, where are you? But I'm still going to trust you. So he's given favor in prison. Maybe that means he, he was given a little more freedom to run around. There are certain avenues that open up to him. And one day while he's in the midst of taking care of, of his duties, there are two men that come there. One of them is a butler to Pharaoh. The other one is a baker for Pharaoh. They both have displeased the king. They both have fallen out of favor with Pharaoh. And they find themselves in the hold with Joseph. And both men dream dreams. Both men are troubled by dreams. And Joseph overhears them talking. And they begin to share with him their dream. A butler says... I dreamed that there was a vine set before me and there were grapes on the vine and I went and got the grapes and I pressed them and I put them in a cup and I offered it to Pharaoh. And Joseph tells him, in three days' time, you're going to go back to the palace and you're going to serve Pharaoh. The baker obviously must have been encouraged by this. He begins to share his dream of how he was carrying three baskets. They were full of, of, of food, and the fowls of the air came, and they began to light, and they began to eat the, 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 the food that was in the baskets. And Joseph looks at him and says, I hate to tell you this, but uh, in three days, Pharaoh's going to take your head off your shoulders. Great, that's what I wanted. Sure enough, everything goes to pass just like Joseph said it would. And Scripture says that as the butler's being called back to Pharaoh's house, Joseph tells him, hey, when you get to Pharaoh, remember me. Remember me. Remember that I was there to help you. Don't forget about me. You don't tell somebody that when you're in the lap of luxury. He may have had favor, but he was still a prisoner. He was telling this man, when the day comes, don't forget who I am. Don't forget where I'm at and that I was there for you. I need you to reach out there and be there for me. But much like happens in life, things got busy, life went on, and the butler forgets about Joseph. And finally, the day comes when Pharaoh has a dream, and nobody can interpret it. Nobody can figure out Pharaoh's dream, and the butler remembers Joseph. 
they call for him. They bring him in before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh begins to explain his dream. He said, you know, I had, I had a dream that there, were, that there were seven fat cows and seven lean cows that come up out of the river, and the lean ones ate up the fat ones, and I, that troubles me and puzzles me. And I, I laid back down, and I dreamed again, and I dreamed there were seven good ears of corn, and then there were seven withered and, and, and shriveled up ears of corn, and the seven... Uh, shriveled ears devoured the seven healthy ears. What in the world does that mean? Joseph would tell him that means that there's a famine that's going to come. You're going to have seven years of plenty, but then you're also going to be followed by seven years of very bad famine. And so you need to make some preparations now so that you can sustain the famine. And Joseph finally gets his due. Pharaoh looks around and he says, can we find a more devout, a more qualified person to, to step up and head this off than the man who interpreted the dream? We'll make him, we'll make him second to me. We're going to give him authority. We're going to give him power. We're going to give him uh, wealth. We're going to give him everything. But I never read where when Joseph was elevated that he ever went back to visit Potiphar to tell him, hey, listen, you scumbag, you believed a lie, and I wound up here. I never read where Joseph looked at the butler and said, really? thought you were going to remember me, man. You left me hanging for a long, long, long time. I never read where when he had the power and authority to, to, to possibly even have someone killed. I know he had the authority to have people jailed. That he went back and he found the slave traders that took him and said, I'm going to get justice and revenge over you. He didn't do that. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the hardest things to do is to forgive when you've been hurt. Is to let go of the need for vengeance and justification. You did this to me, and I want you to know it. You hurt me. You, you bruised me. You, 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 you tried to destroy me, and I want you to know I have not forgotten it, and I'm here to repay you for what you did. How many of you have said this? We read the scripture where it says if someone smites you on, 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 on the cheek, you're to turn them the other cheek. I've heard people say that stands for two good hits. After that, all bets are off, baby. It's on. I'll give you two shots. And when you're done, you better hope I'm not still standing because it, it's on, baby. I'll never forget being at school and we had a bully. I'm going to change the names to protect the innocent, okay? We had a bully named Brian. Brian was a big guy. Brian was one of these guys who, in the eighth grade, he looked like he was in college. He didn't have to work out real hard, he was just built massive. He had no neck. His shoulders were wide. 
And there was a guy that was friends with us. Ironically, his actual name was Eric. It wasn't me. I wish I could take credit for it. Oh, I love that. I can't take credit for this one. Eric was just a tall, skinny guy. He hung out with us. We were buddies. And one day, Brian got to picking on people. And Eric made the, 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 what some would have thought the fatal mistake of speaking up. And he said, hey, why don't you leave them alone? To which Brian, you know, the teenagers, well, what are you going to do about it? Well, I'm going to stop you, okay? I'm going to meet you after school where we can't get stopped by the coaches and the principals. And we're going to see if you can stop me. I missed it. Would have been, I would love to have seen it. My best friend was there. He said it was glorious. He said Brian jumped out of his car behind the Dairy Queen in the back alley in a little dirt town in Truman, Arkansas. And he began to run toward Eric, and he said, Let's go! And threw both arms open wide. And Jason said the fists come out of nowhere. There was no hands up to guard. There was no hands to prevent the blow. But he came, and with everything he had, he caught Brian right smooth in the nose with a right hook. They said Brian staggered backwards. And it was just like you said, sick him when, Brian, when Eric saw the blood. They said it was fist. And when it was all said and done, Brian was trying to be mouthy, but he had bloody noses and black eyes and wasn't going too good for old Brian. That's the kind of justice I want to administer, baby. You want to mess with me? Who you think you're talking to? That's what we want. But that's not what the Bible says we're supposed to get. So Joseph settles in to his new life. He begins to prepare for a famine. He sets back grain, sets up the storerooms. It's everything in place. And the day comes when the famine hits, and all of a sudden he looks out, and his brothers are standing in the crowd, and they're waiting to buy grain. Now imagine the person that caused you your greatest childhood trauma standing in a crowd to stand before you to ask for help and tell me, don't tell me, but in your mind, how would you respond to that person? The person or people that caused you the most trauma in your life are now standing there asking for help. And the man who has been blessed and who has always handled his business correctly says, you're spies. You've come to spy out the land, throw them in the stocks. Oh, Joseph begins to act in some weird ways here. Throw them in the stocks, leaves them in, in the hole for three days, brings them out, fills up their sacks with grain, Gives them back their money, 
puts it in their sack, sends them on their way. But before he sends them, he says, you're going to pick one of your brethren to stay here with me, and I want you to go home, and I want you to bring your youngest brother here. We can't do that. One of you is going to stay. So Simeon stays behind as a prisoner. The other brothers go home, and they tell their dad, hey, he said we could come back. And he's disguised, by the way. He looks like an Egyptian. They think they're dealing with an Egyptian, but he knows who they are. He tells, they tell their dad, they said, hey, this guy said we could come back, but only if we bring Benjamin. And their dad says, absolutely not. I've already got one kid that's in the stocks there. I'm not sending my youngest because Benjamin is the, is the last son that Rachel bore me, and Joseph is dead. So he's the only thing that I have left that reminds me of, the, uh, of his mother and the relationship that I had, and I will not send Benjamin. But after they run out of food and things get rough, they have to go back. And they have to stand before Joseph again. First Peter chapter 3, verse 9, and I'm probably going to read from a different translation than King James says, Do not repay evil with evil. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called. Deuteronomy 32 and 35 says, It is mine to avenge. I will repay. This is God talking. His brothers come to him again. They bring Benjamin. And it would be real, 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 real easy for Joseph to get his revenge right now. I've got you where I want you. I can do with you what I want. And no one will ever know the difference. But Joseph's still thinking about a dad that's back home. He's still thinking about his younger brother. What happens if I get, if I get to take my revenge out, if I get to have my say? What happens during the fallout? They give them their, their grain. They start to go. Joseph puts his cup inside of Benjamin's sack. And the servants, they no sooner get out of the city, servants are sent out of Joseph's. They find the sack of grain. They find the cup in Benjamin's sack. And they began to bring him back. And they already know they've dealt with a hard man. They have no idea it's their brother. And they're worried what's going to happen to dad when they get home. When we tell him that we've lost Benjamin, our dad is going to die. He's going to grieve himself to death. And when Joseph sees the brokenness in them, he can't hide who he is any longer. He begins to reveal who he is. Many, 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 many times, and I've got to hurry, but many times we will hide the real us that's been hurt behind that tough exterior 
in that tough facade that I don't want anybody to get past. I'll put my walls up, and I don't want you going any further. You get to see this side of me, but you don't get to see the real me that's inside. Joseph says, hey, I'm your brother. I'm the one that you sold. I'm the one that you tried to destroy. Proverbs 10 and 12 says, Hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers all wrong. Proverbs 24 and 29 says, Do not say, I'll do to them as they have done to me. I'll pay them back for what they did. That is so easy. But Joseph, and I have to believe that he struggled with that. I believe that's some of the reasons why you see the back and forth between Joseph and his brothers, the one who'll throw him in the prison, but then the one that will actually go back and weep and cry when he hears of the state of his father and his family. There's a conflict going on there. How do I handle those that hurt me? But when Joseph reveals himself and he embraces his brethren... He says a very powerful statement in Genesis chapter 45 and verse 7. He t- looks at his brethren and he says, God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. When it was finally revealed And all the pieces fell in place. Joseph could look back and he could say, all of the hurt that I endured, all of the pain that I I went through, it wasn't me being kicked down, but it was God using things that happen in life to prepare me for where he wants me. That doesn't mean God allowed bad things to happen. We live in a fallen world. There are things that hurt. There are abuse. There's pain. There's things we live through because we live in a fallen world. But we serve a God that is so awesome that he will pick up the pieces and he will be there and navigate things to where when you come out on the other side of it, you can look back and you can say, I overcame it and God got the glory out of it. So what I'm trying to tell you is, I don't know where you're at right now. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you walked in here with this morning. I don't know the hurts and the pains you carry. But I am telling you this, that in the end, John, when he was writing the book of Revelation, he said, I saw a host clothed in white, and they had been made overcomers by the blood of the Lamb, and the word of their testimony. You don't get a testimony without a test. He said there were some people there who had endured some things, who had been through some things, who still carried some, that had carried some scars and some marks of life. But they overcame by the blood of the Lamb. And by the fact that when it was all said and done, they could stand and say, I passed the test. 
It was meant for evil. It was meant to destroy me. It was meant to to devour me. But God brought me out. God brought me out. Stand with me this morning. Lord, I love you, and I thank you for everything you've done. God, for the things that I don't understand, for the hurts that I have gone through that I don't understand the why of. Lord, I'm asking that you would move on us. I'm asking that you would step into this house today and that your spirit would begin to soothe hurts, that your anointing would begin to mend hurts, God. I'm asking that you would touch us, asking that you'd be with us. And everybody said amen. We're going to take a short break, and you can get some water, shake hands, visit with folks, and then we will start our main service. Again, thank you for being here for First Word.